Get ready for brilliant people, brilliant ideas, and a regular good time. This is Brilliant Thoughts with Success People editor Tristan Almada, the show that thinks about how personalities, relationships, and communication shape business success. And now here he is, Tristan Almada. Here we go again, everyone. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Brilliant Thoughts. And on this one, I've got Carter Room. I've got a co-host on this one. It's Paul Morris, a good friend of mine. He's a best-selling author, owns a whole bunch of real estate all across the nation. And Carter is his friend. He said, hey, Carter, want to jump on a success podcast with Tristan? He said, yeah, why not? So as you talk to Carter and you listen in, this guy's not only a smart guy, he's a really nice stoic gentleman. And he tells us some stories about the relationships he's built. And I think that's the important thing here. Pay attention to that because a little bit of his background, he created a company called Vive Spirits with his brother, Courtney Room. They sold that one and then created this awesome venture capital firm called M13 Investments, which by the way, is backed by people like Richard Branson and Ariana Huffington. Here's some fun facts about Carter. He graduated from Columbia University and he's written a best-selling book, came out in 2018, look it up. And his fiance is Paris Hilton. So that's a fun fact. Join me on this one. We're going to have some fun. You're going to learn a lot. Let's go. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliant Thoughts with Success Magazine. Today, I've got my co-host, Paul Morris, a good friend of mine. Paul, how you doing, buddy? Absolutely delighted. Thank you for the invite. And uh, thanks for letting me bring on my friend, Carter, who's such a rock star. Dude, I'm excited, Carter. I, I did a little bit of research on you, and I found some great stuff, by the way. Very impressed. Yeah. Very impressed. And I know that that we're a little bit late jumping on right now, so we've only got a few minutes here. But let's dive in. I'm going to ask you an easy question here. Carter, do you prefer SpongeBob or He-Man? Oh, good oh. question. I, I don't think you can go wrong with SpongeBob, right? Dude, I mean, He-Man's coming back on Netflix, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, just wanted to start it off with a softball. But, Paul, look, he's a, he's a good friend of yours. Carter, do you want to start off with any questions? If not, I've got a list of them. You do? Okay. Well, you know, I, I'll say this. Uh, Carter does a lot of things very well. I, I've, I've got a chance to see him work uh, up close and personal, so it's not just the on-paper stuff. And mm-hmm. if we're jumping right straight into it, the thing that Carter does, which is does many things very well, I've never met a guy that connects with people better. And so, Carter, is that just because, hey, I'm a nice guy and I'm a people person or how purposeful are you about it? Yeah, I think it's across a few dimensions. I mean, I think the, the first thing is uh, people can always tell if you're not genuine. Right. So I think, you know, one of the things about my father that people used to say is he just always seemed to genuinely care, right? And, and when he would ask questions, it wasn't to ask a question to get the answer so that he could talk. It was to ask questions to learn and to kind of understand what somebody was doing. So I think it always starts with just taking a genuine interest and, and showing people that you have that empathy and you care about what they're doing or what they have to say. And then to be honest, a little bit of it is also, uh, 
I try never to be calculated, but always to be thoughtful. So um, I'm a social psych major. One of the reasons I, I was a social psych major, knowing I was going to enter finance or business, was whether it was, you know, understanding how to communicate with a business partner or a future wife or my children when you're negotiating, you know, trying to get them to bed, I imagine, or something like that. I just figured understanding how people communicate, how people persuade, how to read body language. And so there are a lot of things that I kind of do very thoughtfully um, to kind of get to know people and kind of, you know, I always, for example, one little thing is I always ask people, is there anything in your world that I can help with? And it's literally amazing just to watch the people's reaction. I ask the question because I know it solicits a certain positive response, like, well, wow, this person like wants to know how they can help. But I also ask the question because I generally want to help that person that I asked the question, right? So I think it's always kind of thinking about both dimensions. That's so cool, man. Look, I was when I was doing some research on you on Wiki, I I noticed that you did start that that capital what well, venture capital firm M13 Investments. And you were early investors in Ring, Lyft, Pinterest, Thrive Market, and other ones. But the cool part is it's backed by Richard Branson and Ariana Huffington. How, dude, how, <laughs> how is this not like the coolest company that everybody knows about? It's amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're, uh, we are definitely incredibly lucky. I think it goes back to my comment about being a good human being, but uh, we raised our first fund two and a half years ago. And we honestly just been super humbled that people we know like Richard Branson and Tony Robbins and Ariana Huffington and Blake from Tom's and all these incredible people have backed us. And uh, that's what makes it so much fun. And it also is what makes us work so hard because we don't want to let down Sir Richard or so many of these other great investors we have. So, Dude, especially now when he's in like an every single article out there now that he's yeah, going exactly. in space. So. Yeah. Carter, so I know you work with your brother. And uh, I guess you've described it a little bit as a yin and a yang. And so sometimes there are opposing viewpoints. Um, tell me how you work with that. Yeah, I, I, I describe it as healthy tension, right? So I actually want to embrace all the biases and prejudices. Again, assuming they're positive biases and prejudices. But we try to embrace all the different vantage points to create those healthy tensions. And so many of us, it takes a high ideals, maybe low ego. A lot of people say it, but but when people get very successful, I see them surrounding themselves with, with yes men or yes women. And that's the opposite of what you're talking about. So why is it that you have this, I almost think it's a superpower. Why is it you have this superpower? And everybody will say it, right? It's written in every book and whatever, but you actually do it. So so you've got all this success. Why not surround yourself with people that make you more comfortable rather than having this tension? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I mean, uh, uh, on January 1st this year in our company Slack channel, I pasted an article about uh, relentless incremental improvement. And it said that if we get better 1% every day in 2021, by the end of the year, we'll be 37 times better. Right. And I think like it's just a mentality. Right. I think it goes back to playing a lot of competitive sports growing up. We can all get better and we can all have more success, but it's not about success or financial success. It's about having a mentality of always wanting to improve. And when I think about how do you get better, you have to push yourself. You have to think outside of the box. You have to be, you know, the way I describe my brain um, is like the Facebook algorithm, probably way less sophisticated, but 
I go through life having strongly held beliefs loosely. And what I mean by that is I always have an opinion. I always have a thought, but I'm always receptive to new opinions. And and the reason I describe it as the Facebook algorithm is I try to suck in as many data points and constantly update my strongly held belief loosely, right? So, you know, the team on a Friday afternoon, I'll have a strongly held belief. I'll do a bunch of work over the weekend. I come back Monday. And the key is not to be unpredictable as a leader, right? Everyone likes leaders that are predictable. So it's not being wish-washy. It's not kind of swinging the pendulum, right? We all know people that one minute they love blue pajamas and then their friend comes in and say, gosh, those blue pajamas are awful. And then the next hour they like green pajamas. That's not what I'm talking about. But I think it's it's having a mentality of receptivity to different data points, which includes different opinions and different vantage points. And then it's updating your opinions and your thoughts because you have a constant desire to get better and to make the best decision. Yeah, I've got strongly held, but maybe with flexibility or openness. Yeah, I think that's totally right. And especially in obviously, you know, our day job at M13 is we back some of the best entrepreneurs in the country. And, you know, five, seven years ago, we wanted to back an entrepreneur that would run through walls. You would always hear, you know, we want that entrepreneur that will run through walls. But now I don't want an entrepreneur that runs through walls because your initial idea and where your idea ends up when you're successful, they usually resemble each other, but kind of like a third cousin, right? It's not, it's not like a spitting image of the idea. And so the best entrepreneurs kind of run up to a decision point, assess, and then, you know, not really pivot, but evolve, right? They're constantly yeah. open to the data they're seeing and they're constantly evolving or sharpening their pencils along the way. Dude, that's mm. that's actually very accurate. It's true. Uh, Paul and I actually were having this conversation about four months ago about just the, the CEOs in the real estate world with the big corporations. That's interesting that you bring that up. And you know, Carter, you also brought up you know, strong opinions, loosely held, very reminiscent of stoicism and uh, Ryan Holiday. I don't know if you're a, a fan of Ryan Holiday's. Yeah, but very, very similar, man. So tell me, with with this whole firm that you created with your brother, what are some of the biggest challenges you've had? Because we're, we're talking to entrepreneurs here, solopreneurs that are consistently struggling with problems, but it, but sometimes they get stuck. And then they remain there for the rest of their life or career, and it just goes down the toilet. What keeps you going, right? Why? How can you pivot so much and change? Yeah, I think there's two things that I think every entrepreneur, whether it's doing what we're doing or solo entrepreneur or tech entrepreneur, that that I would say that everyone uh, needs to always focus on. One is we look at every challenge as an opportunity, right? So if, if those who are fans of Car- Carol Dweck and know growth versus fixed mindset, right? Mm-hmm. I believe the definition of entrepreneurship is being asked every single day to do something you've never done before, right? It is impossible to believe if every day you're asked to do something you've never done before that you're going to be that great at it if it's your first time, right? And so, right, people that we surround ourselves w- with they look at it as a growth mindset, right? Wow, I've never done this before. I'm actually not very good at it, but my gosh, look at the growing I'm having, right? Like they look at it as a growth opportunity. The people that will that never survive in environments that my brother and I create or the tech world are ones that go, my gosh, I feel so dejected because I've never done this before and therefore I wasn't good at it, right? And so 
I think the first thing is I look at every opportunity as an opportunity to grow and to get better. And I always look at the upside, not the downside. I think the second thing that I always instill in every entrepreneur and, and regardless of what they're doing is you have to be a storyteller these days, right? And not uh, a storyteller. We all have the friend, you know, who's kind of full of himself. who's telling the stories at dinner. I always, you know, I love Google because, you know, that friend at dinner who's like, oh my God, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, dude, that's actually inaccurate. He's like, no, no. I was like, hold on a second. Let me ask my friend Google. And I'm like, no, no, you're totally wrong. It is factually inaccurate. So we're not that type of storyteller, right? But you have to inspire, right? Like, the end of the day, the ways you win are surrounding yourselves with really talented teams, right? When we started M13, it was nothing more than a vision. But then we were able to inspire a few people that were really talented to join us on that vision. And all of a sudden, it increased our probability that that vision might become a reality. And then as we started to grow, we started to get more capital because we were able to be good storytellers on the vision for people that were funding us. And then those flywheels start. And so I think there's always a balance between storytelling and inspiring um, rather than being full of SHIT. You don't want to do that. But I do think you have to inspire customers to want to buy your product. You have to inspire, you know, retailers to buy your product. You have to inspire people to come on this vision. And so to me, that's the biggest thing is that people have to believe it. Uh, and then they have to share that inspiration um, because it gets a lot easier if you're able to kind of get some lucky breaks along the way if people fail that kind of shared mission and vision with you. And when you when you said uh, story, storytelling and inspiring, you know, I like the four-letter word, but also you don't want to be full of self too. How do you how do you balance that? Because uh, again, having had many conversations with Carter, he's a guy that you don't know how it's happening or why it's happening. Uh, but after I walk away, I always feel like, uh, oh, well, not only I feel like what a nice guy, what a good guy, what a smart guy, but I feel kind of like better about myself somehow. And, and that's that connection piece. Well, Paul, that's because I always tell you how handsome you are and well dressed <laughs> when I see you. I think that's what you're referring to, but yes. I think your, your, your first point is well taken. Um, you know, we say in our book that every entrepreneur needs to have a microscope in one eye and a telescope in the other eye. So the microscope in one eye is you got to be real with yourself. You have to be looking at the day to day. You have to be intellectually honest with yourself, with what's going well, what's not going well and where you can improve. Right. If you don't do that, you're never going to get to where you want to go. Having said that, in the other eye, you need to have the telescope. You've got to be shooting for the moon and hoping to land on the stars. And so we try to always, uh, you know, people say, man, you're just always happy. You're always so positive. And it's because even on the worst days, I have my telescope out and I know where I'm going or I know where I'm trying to go. And as an entrepreneur, I think one of the muscles that everyone needs to learn if they're going to be a successful entrepreneur is kind of calibration. The highs can never be that high. But if you're not going to make the highs that high, the lows won't be that low, right? And so, you know, one of the things that I work on actually is I tr try to celebrate the wins more than I used to. Because in order to, to protect myself from the lows that we all have being entrepreneurs, right? We all have bad days, bad weeks, sometimes bad months. You basically kind of numb yourself a little bit. But that works both ways, right? If you're not willing, if you're willing to kind of be a little more numb to the lows, 
you end up being a little more numb to the highs. And so I like the fact that I've learned this muscle, which is to be more even keeled, right? As a leader, I try to absorb rather than reflect, right? So early in my career, on the good days, I was reflecting positive vibe and the bad vibe in the bad days, I was reflecting, right? That, you know, those struggles that we might've been having that day. Now, as a leader, I try to absorb it. I try not to hold it in too long, but I try to be a little more absorbent than reflective. Um, but uh, I also try to celebrate the wins with the team, right? So taking that moment, like we in uh, every, in our Slack channels, we have a gratitude channel, right? There's a lot of research about the power of gratitude, right? My brother, I think is four years into a gratitude journal where he writes three gratitudes every day and scientifically proven he is a happier person because of that. Uh, there's a lot of great research coming out of the Harvard Happiness Institute, if anyone wants to Google it. Um, but we have a gratitude channel just to allow people to celebrate those wins and thank somebody for what they did and, and things like that. And so um, I think that is important along the way is um, to make sure you celebrate the wins because being an entrepreneur, it might seem glamorous, but it's tough. And sometimes it's lonely and it's a lot of hard work. And so you got to celebrate the wins as well. How do you how do you keep a steady mind? How do you make sure that that all the negativity around you doesn't eat at you and keep you up at night through anxiety or you get depressed? How do you do that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's everything from, you know, when uh, when I'm having a bad day, I try to walk around the block. Right. Or some whatever you're kind of whether that's meditation, using something like calm or walking around the block. But to me, it really is. uh it's just always being optimistic about the journey and where I want to end up. Right. And, and those are, those are kind of like little nicks along the way. And then what I always tell myself is as an entrepreneur, you just have to win more battles than you lose, but you can't think you're not going to lose battles. That's not the score to keep. It was interesting. I was doing a catch up with a, a, a very successful friend of myself and he calls one person a month and just asks them very deep questions. And we started talking about New Year's resolutions. And what he realized is, what we realized together as we were talking was, I obsess with the process, right? I believe that if, if myself and those I surround myself do all the right things, the right results will follow over an extended period of time. And so every year, um, I feel I'm usually pretty uh, satisfied because I can control the processes, right? And so I say, I'm going to do these three things, and I expect these results to happen. Conversely, he said his goals are always, I'm going to sell my company. I'm going to do this. He always focuses on the end results. But, you know, we can't control those things, right? So he said he, he tends to get depressed a lot because he's focused on the end results, where I'm actually always focused on the means to the end. So I feel accomplished because I know I did what I need to do. I control the kind of controllables, right? And so I think that's also another thing, you know, the, the analogy I use is I always laugh when I'm in Vegas and I'm at the blackjack table and I'm showing, uh, uh, you know, maybe a, a 11 and the dealer showing 16. And so I double down and the dealer hits a three, you know, gets 19 and, and I end up at 16. And people will say, gosh, I should have done that. The answer is you should have done that, right? Because you actually, you absolutely should have done that because 99 out of 100 times, the odds don't lie, right? So over a long period of time, that's always going to be. 
I feel the same way about if you drive the right processes, if you do the right work, most of the time the results follow, whether that's getting into a retailer or selling a business or having a good relationship with a business partner or a wife or a girlfriend or something like that. And so I really try to focus on the process, knowing that's what I can control and the chips will fall where they will. And that particular hand of blackjack, I didn't win, but 99 out of 100 times, if I do the right things and I follow the odds, the right results are going to follow. I mean, phenomenal, phenomenal uh, use of that analogy because people really tend to second guess things. And in that second guessing, what you're doing is you're saying, hey, it turned out, it didn't turn out the way I wanted to, but I still did the right thing. And there, and there, and there's value, there's value in that. Um, one of the things, Carter, for, for this audience, and I put myself in that audience for sure, um, you've been very successful at, at raising money. Now, I want to take it way back, uh, way back to me and Tristan, okay? Now, let's just say uh, Tristan and I or any member of our audience, we've got, we've got some good ideas, a good project, maybe a good path. We want to raise money. How do we do it? Uh, I think there's a, a few things that I would focus on. But having said that, clearly no magic bullets. The first is I think one has to clearly articulate uh, what they're trying to accomplish. Um, in doing so, they have to realize when you're raising capital, you're trying to win hearts and minds. Too many people focus on either hearts or they focus on minds and they forget that you're trying to win both, right? And so when I, when a company's raising kind of initial capital, it's usually not whether the final number on some model is a two or a three or a four, you need to make them emotionally feel vested like and excited, right? So I think the first thing is clearly articulating uh, what you want to accomplish or what the idea is, making sure that you are inspiring hearts is equally as minds. Um, the second thing is we live in an ultra competitive world, right? There's been a complete democratization of the ability for people to start businesses. That's the good news. The bad news is as a result of that is doesn't matter what your business is. You have a lot of competition, right? If you're a chef, you're competing with other restaurants, you're competing with food delivery platforms. You know, if you're a real estate agent, you're probably competing with other real estate agents, but also maybe technology platforms that allow people to sell or buy homes easier, et cetera, et cetera. And so one of the things I always ask people is um, there's a stat from Moneyball, um, the famous book around uh, the, the around and it's a basketball stat and it's called war wins above replacement. So LeBron James has the most wins that he accounts for above his replacement. And when we're investing in a company, we ask ourselves, why does this entrepreneur have a high wins above their replacement, right? So if your replacement's really good as well, right, you don't account for more incremental wins, right? For example, we invested in a shipping, uh, shipping logistics tech company. Company is now probably worth $2 billion. And we found a guy that went to Stanford Business School and Harvard undergrad that grew up in a trucking family. Do you think there are many guys that grew up in a trucking family that went to Harvard and then Stanford? Heck no, right? So he has a very high wins above replacement to disrupt the trucking industry. If he had come to me and said, oh, I'm going to launch a Band-Aid company, I'd say his wins above replacement is not exponentially high, right? 
And so I think the the takeaway from that is for everyone and when they're going to raise capital is why do you have an outsized right to win, mm-hmm. right? Because the best investors understand it's all about probabilities, right? It is hard. No one can control the outcomes, but we all want the greatest probability, right? Like if I were a card counter in my black back jack analogy, since I'll just keep going with it, I'm going to take a hit when I know there's more face cards in the deck, right? I'm always going to try to do that because my odds are, are different, right? And so I think a lot of it is why do you have a, an unfair right to win? And then I think the last thing that I would say is a lot of times people just go out and start asking everybody for money, right? And uh, try to, I always tell people, start with um, setting up the first few meetings to learn from, right? So the best tech companies, they don't uh, launch to grow. They launch to learn how to grow, right? So they're looking for data and insights. And as they find those, that's going to go from linear growth to exponential growth. So in the same way, I always tell people, just go and have three friendly meetings with people that you don't want money from and be very thoughtful. Why did they ask that question? It wasn't the question that you're learning from, but if they say, um, if they ask about the market, then that probably tells you whatever information you had about the market in there wasn't sufficient. And, And I always tell people, don't take anyone's advice as gospel, but start to pick up patterns. If I go to pitch Tristan and then I go to pitch Paul, and their first question out of their mouth both is, well, is the market big enough? Then I know somehow I need to put in my deck or in the way I talk about it, how big the market is. So I think when people go out to fundraise or get capital, whether it's from a bank or an investor, always trying to just set it up in a way that to really be thoughtful about why is somebody asking that question and how can I position the opportunity to overcome that um, question? So if I can if I can summarize super quick, <clears throat> when you go out to raise money, you're going to uh, you're going to focus on winning the hearts and minds. You're not going to go just after the hearts or the minds. As a, a technical person, might sort of go after the minds, right? An emotional person might sort of go after the heart. You're going to look at both. Um, <clears throat> the second point in there is when Tristan and I make our pitch, we're going to keep in mind the wins above replacement, meaning specifically that Tristan and I are pitching to you, Carter, and we're saying, hey, this is essentially our superpower. This is this is why Tristan and I, this is a crowded market. Every market's crowded. This is a crowded market. Here are the few reasons why Tristan and I have an outsized advantage in that market. And then the third point that I got was, uh, that's Tristan and I are going to now make our first, we're not going to pitch to Carter first. We're going to pitch to, uh, cause we only got one shot, right? We got Carter. Okay. We only got one shot. So we're going to pitch to some really smart people and we're going to be really mindful of the questions that they ask and the questions that they ask really smart people are going to coach Tristan and I on how to morph our process, morph our pitch to the next person. Mm. You said it better than I did, Paul. So thank you for that. <laughs> Dude, that was that was good. I'm still stuck on what you said. Here, and I wrote it down. It says, tech companies launch to figure out how to grow. And I think that can apply to almost every business out there. You brought up real estate. Like real estate agents overthink everything. But if they actually go ahead and try to do this and say, okay, well, how can I grow? Let's do it. 
I think they'll figure it out along the way. It reminds me of the book by uh, Adam Grant. I think, again, his latest one. And I'm like, dude, you're like saying everything he's saying in the book. It's so good. So, um, dude. Adam's book is great. We uh, He's a good, he's a friend of the firm. And we had him speak recently uh, for something we were doing. But yeah, his his books are all tremendous books. So. Well, dude, you, you're very reminiscent of, of that. So great job on, on thinking along those routes. And I think we can all learn from it. We just overthink it. Paul, what do you think of when he said, you know, why don't you go out and test this out with other people? It's kind of like what we tell people to do and say, hey, look, why don't you practice? Yeah. Right? Just practice, practice your listing presentation. You're a realtor, right? We talk about it all just the time. Practice. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's brilliant, Carter. And I have a question for you about relationships. When when you were go, going through college and you were younger, what relationships to you were, were really important that helped you they see the world the way you do today? Yeah, I think it's a good question. Um, you know, I think to me, it's just always, regardless of age, it's just always about kind of surrounding yourselves with people you can learn from, um, whether that's family, whether it's, you know, a friend of the family, things like that. Um, for me, I was just incredibly lucky. I just had uh, world-class parents that taught me so much. And so um, that was uh, was was huge for me um, that they, you know, spent the time to kind of help nurture me and, and help me grow as a human being. So my my next question might be sort of a follow up. And it's funny because, you know, I look at the time and I, I know we have a short amount of time. Like I'm not letting Carter off the off the podcast until I ask this. And and I I know that you know, one of the things that people do is they look at somebody like Carter and they go, well, you know, look at, he's got all these connections. Of course he can do it, you know, but I know that Carter's been in situations where uh, it was a bit daunting, you know? So like, I'll never forget the first time, like Crosby, Stills and Nash, one of my favorite bands. I get the opportunity to meet and hang out with Steven Stills. And, and, and so I meet him and like, what do I say? I go like, Oh, hey, dude, I like your music, right? He has heard that, you know, 75,000 times before in the last, you know, two months. So when you, how do you connect? So you're at a cocktail party and there's that one entrepreneur that you really wanted to get to meet. There's the Richard Branson. There's the somebody that you want to, you want to impress them, but you know, you can't go up to Richard Branson and go, hey, Richard, I'm (laughs) Carter and I'm great. Let me tell you about myself. Tell me, I want to know, what you do to connect with these people. And then how do you, how do you get from that short connection to maybe a coffee? Yeah. Uh, believe it or not, I'm incredibly shy. So I'm not very good at, at going up and just talking to people. If it was a Sir Richard Branson or an Eric Schmidt or somebody like that. Um, but I tend to try to find what's the one thing that I can do to show them that I'm knowledgeable in what they've done. I've read their book. I've read their article. I love this. So some, something about it is just, personalization, like, hey, I really love that book you wrote on X. Can you tell me more about it? And then uh, I think my my trick or my thoughtfulness is whenever I'm talking to someone I want to connect with, I'll find that kind of common ground. I say, actually, I never ask for give me your phone number or give me your email. But while I'm talking to that person and they go, oh, yeah, no, I have to run. I'm going to Greece next week. I'm going to Mykonos. I said, oh, that's great. I love this little hole in the wall restaurant in Mykonos. Give me your number and I'll send you the name of it, right? And so for me, that's probably my my best networking hack 
again, nobody just wants to give you their phone number. Nobody wants just wants to give you their email. But when I ask for their phone number, they're thinking to themselves, oh, this person is going to deliver some value. So I, in return for me giving my information, I'm going to get value. And that changes the power dynamic. So you're coming, closing with value. Yeah, you're coming from, yeah. <laughs> you're coming from contribution. I love it. So, so one of the yeah. one of the ways that I put put slightly differently, one of the ways that I I I have learned to do it is when I meet with somebody that I really want to connect with again, I look for the homework. What's the homework? What's the yeah. thing that I can deliver to them? And a little bit of a little bit of research on the on the person beforehand can go can go a long way. And then Carter, yeah. you you've got you're like okay. Mykonos, you know, you really helped. They're like, wow, I went to that place. Carter, thanks so much. That was amazing. What then? How do I, how do I convert that to coffee? Uh, I think it, it really is just, um, yeah, I think it's been a good human being. People can feel that in your ethos, whether that's in person, on email or on text. Um, and then I think it's honestly, I just try to build rapport, right? So I, I don't, I try not to ask for anything it's kind of, oh, you know, a little banter back and forth about that restaurant. And then by the time you do that, right, it's kind of like the, the rapport is built. And then by the time you ask for coffee or say, let's meet up or something like that, I, I just find the conversion rate effectively is I, higher. So. I love that approach, man. Carter, I wish I, we could talk to you for another hour, but that's it, man. We, uh, awesome. We're over on Thank you guys enough. This is Amazing. Appreciate your time, Carter. Thank you so much, man. Thank you so much. All right. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thanks, buddy. Those are all the brilliant thoughts that we have for you today. If you like what you're hearing, drop us a review or just tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it. <laughs>